The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is Socially Distanced with Paxton Wright and Justin Kiever. I'm one of those two people. They call me Paxton Wright. Almost everybody does. Uh, And then everybody I know refers to my co-host Justin Kiever as Justin Kiever. So Justin, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. You know, funny story. uh, A lot of of people back in North Carolina call me Alex, which is my middle name. Um, My parents included. So, well, Interesting. Yeah. Um, so there, I, there's a fun uh, kind of a uh, ambiguity in uh, in what I am called. See, I keep trying to get people to call me Balthazar, but no one will go along with it. So for now, it's still it's still unfortunately Paxton. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so we have some stuff to talk about this week as a show that is a podcast slash radio show slash whatever you want to call it that talks about uh, primarily about video games. Uh, you know, there's sort of big news in the world of podcasts that talk primarily about video games. Justin, you want to sort of uh, lead us into what that's all about? Uh, yeah, yeah. This this is news that I actually suspect a lot of... Um, okay, assuming that like our listenership, like we had a broad listenership, like, you know, the odds are it would probably end up being like mostly UCI undergraduates if I had mm-hmm. to guess, you know? Um, I'm... I would assume that most of what this like hypothetical audience would be probably wouldn't care very much about this news. My task over the next like 24 minutes is to try and make everyone care. (laughs) Um, So yeah, um, the video game website, Giant Bomb, uh, which was started in 2008, I believe, basically just announced uh, a few major, like three principal members of its staff announced that they are leaving the website, which is is because it's a personality-based website, basically means that this uh, that giant bomb will no longer exist in its current form. Like it is like like there have been staff changes throughout the history of this website, and this staff change is like like this is no this is not just a shift. Like this is a hard rupture in what this site is. Like it's going to, according to its founder Jeff Gersman, like it is going to kind of go on in some capacity, but like it will be a completely different thing because it'll have to be a completely different thing because really what the site was was is like these core people talking about games, and 
you know, a website of people talking about games, I know does not sound terribly uh, significant, um, you know, like on its face. And the thing is, though, like Giant Bomb, I think mattered quite a bit in quite a few ways. And kind of before I dig into like why it matters, uh, I'll give some like some background for people who have never heard of the site before. So yeah, it was started in 2008 by Jeff Gersman. Jeff Gersman was uh, employed prior to this was uh, known for being employed at GameSpot as a reviewer, um, like he was an editor and uh, a reviewer. And he, um, his name sort of, uh, and yeah, it went, and while working there, you know, like he was known for kind of spearheading a lot of like more kind of like entertainment focused uh, material at GameSpot. And then he kind of like entered the sort of like the cultural imaginary of like the game playing, like, you know, the um, game, game playing aficionados. I don't know, like people who would like at the, at the time probably self-identified as like gamers, quote unquote. Like he became known to a lot of people because he was very famously fired for giving a bad review to Kane and Lynch Dead Men, where basically um, GameSpot had a uh, an advertising deal with um uh, with uh, the publisher, and uh, you know he gave the game like a six or something like that, and then the new um and basically the thing that apparently happens a lot is you know like when a game gets a bad score like whatever pr firm will kind of do like hey we disagree with your score and then the thing that a good editorial kind of like you know a good editorial higher up will do is go okay and then you know just like leave it at that because it just kind of doesn't matter but anyway at this point like they had some like apparently some like new uh new higher up that got that negative feedback from the publisher and then like you know kind of uh just freaked out about it and fired Gersman. And so like the sum that's such a rarity in the game. <laughs> so that's so I mean that's kind of the like the thing that's really um you know the, I mean the the fun thing now is that there is no kind of uh there is no idea of even like a um I don't want to say objective games covers because that's not what I mean because all of the stuff is subjective, but like the way that, you know, like marketing happens now is a, a publisher sends a game to a, like a, a credulous uh, streamer and the streamer is just such a big fan of the franchise and they get, to, and they get the game ahead of its, re- you know, ahead of its release date. So they can stream it to everyone and talk about how excited they are about it. And because streamers are independent content creators, there's no way they're being paid to deliver, you know, positive, uh, you know, to, to deliver a positive recession in the game, right? That just doesn't happen. Anyway, um, the, the, the modern, like the, the, the ecosystem of streaming on Twitch is really bleak and like, yeah, anyway, and, and that'll matter. In a re- so anyway, uh, Gersman fired for this review starts giant bomb takes a few kind of like, um, print a few like really, uh, key reviewers and kind of uh, people who worked at GameSpot with him basically. And, um, uh, including, you know, basically the main people being Ryan Davis, uh, you know, who uh, uh, who uh, passed away in 2013, uh, Vinny Caravella, um, Alex Navarro, and Brad Shoemaker. That's kind of like the main group. I mean, Alex uh, Navarro, I think, came uh, a little later, but he was, uh, you know, he joined Giant Bomb after like two years, and he was, you know, someone who worked at GameSpot for a very long time with all of these people um, who would go on, pre- who would pretty much go on immediately to join Gersman at Giant Bomb. And what Giant Bomb was, um, was, you know, it, it started kind of like as a, um, as a more sort of uh, 
personality focused uh, or like entertainment focused game spot where like the idea was still like they're covering games but it's like a an idea of coverage that's kind of like more heavily inflected by like what these like what this smaller number of staff members think is interesting and what and the, and the thing is like uh but the thing that's really interesting about giant bomb is like that changes very quickly and you can and the thing that was really interesting about them is that really uh, they kind of, the way that this site changes over time heavily anticipates the way the coverage of games on the internet in a broad sense changes over time. And um, so, and, and like something that's really key to that is this a very simple video feature they would, they became known for, which was quick looks, which like in 2008 and 2009, basically the way that they covered games as you know, quote unquote journalists was basically to record like, you know, 40 to 15 minute videos, like, you know, unedited videos of them playing games and kind of responding to them, explaining how they work. But the thing is, as they were, because they were these long videos, which they released long videos because they just didn't have time to edit them because they had a very small staff. Um, yeah, like, you know, they're these videos that were meant to kind of like serve an informational purpose also wound up serving a kind of like an entertainment purpose and in the quick look. And that like, this is happening at the same time as like people recording let's plays on YouTube and like uploading them as episodes, um, which was, you know, like huge. And basically like the, I think 2009 to like 2012 or something like that. Um, like 2014. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Like give it even, yeah, that's, I, yeah, I think you're right. But, um, and yeah, so that's happening at around the same time. And like, you know, I like, so Giant Bomb is not like the only place where this is happening, but they are a place where this is happening. And yeah, and, and so you kind of like watch as like, you know, they, you know, develop basically in the, in the years prior to like streaming really catching on, they are doing things that like resemble streaming, but with, but under this kind of, um, rubric of games journalism and so and the thing that gets really interesting is like as like you know the ecosystem of games coverage goes more and more toward long streams you watch them start to do these like long twitch-esque streams they would do like streams via twitch and via their site but um but also with this kind of um but the thing they but the and this is the other thing that's really interesting about them is that they would archive everything. So there's this, um, and part of like the, part of the Giant Bomb website was this like big, basically a Wikipedia of games was kind of the idea where like there's just this massive fan wiki that is like meant to kind of like document a sort of like, yeah, just to document a kind of like, you know, uh, a history of like, you know, like a kind of like, you know, hypertextual history of video games. So there's this real like archival um, ethos uh, that like undergirded pretty much everything that Giant Bomb does. And a big part of like, you know, what is that archival ethos is that it's these people who were writing about games in like the early two, like in the, from like starting as like early as like the nineties, you know, who are continuing to kind of like engage with the medium and produce uh, video content about it. And like, even, so like they, so it's this thing where like Giant Bomb anticipated what like the ecosystem of games coverage will become. And then also, and then eventually when Twitch like really caught on, they just, they kind of got lost in that ecosystem. And I think that's really what kind of, you know, undid them as a, as a cultural force. Uh, 
but yeah, but there's still like, but there's this ethos of history where like, you know, Twitch streams like are only like when they're archived in a lasting way, it's fan labor generally, you know, it's like people kind of like recording the, like the VOD and the VOD, whatever. And, um, you know, uploading it to YouTube or something like that. And John Bomb, like, you know, they archive everything. So there is this like 13 year history of this site where you can like watch kind of like, you can watch the internet change with giant bomb and like having an archive of that kind of thing, like having an archive of like the way video content on the internet changes is like, is really, really valuable. And also like, and frankly, this is the other part of it. That's like more personal for me is like, you know, I, I grew up watching these guys. Like I started watching when I was like 15. Uh, I'm 27 now and the thing that a thing they really offered is like and you know like i i hit a point where i didn't really go to them for like their opinions like i didn't like you know need their opinions on games and i think that like i would stop listening to their like game of the year uh, podcast because i was just like oh i disagree with all of this and you know meh. but like they were they were people who were in their 30s and 40s talking about games in a way that didn't feel kind of like it doesn't feel like Twitch. Like there's this, like it's, it's calmer, you know, frankly. And it, like, it was a rubric for like when I try and imagine, and then like, I write about games a lot. Like I'm, I'm an academic of games basically, which is a really weird and kind of, it feels like very silly thing to be most of the time. And the thing that they offered at this point in my life, and I'm still pretty young, but it was like a rubric of like how to kind of like come at games as you know like someone as someone who is aging and is aware of like how they are aging and yeah and 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 you know those people left in that site no longer exists in that form and that hurts well i think that i think that um personal your personal relationship to it's really interesting to me because i i i like had a very sort of peripheral relationship with giant bomb growing i always knew giant bomb but I never really um, got too in deep with what they were doing. Um, but what I did have, there's only a two year difference between you and I, I'm 25. So it's not like there's a massive generational gap, but what I did have was uh, uh, I grew up watching and being a big fan of, and I've talked about them on the show before too, the guys at formerly super best friends, now castle super beast, um, who they were directly inspired by Giant Bomb. Like they started doing Let's Play. They originally began as a team, as a group of Let's Players back during the Let's Play heyday on YouTube, um, who did it because of the, the Giant Bomb quick looks. They did, they had that same exact approach. Their podcast was directly inspired by Giant Everything they did, they fully admitted, it was like they just tried to kind of ape on Giant Bomb and do what they were doing. Um, but they had that same sort of perspective as like, oh, these guys are much older than me. When they sort of started, I, I started watching them when I was like 15, same as you with Giant Bomb. Uh, when they started, there were these guys who were like in their late 20s, uh, you know, who just were like, ah, oh, let's talk about video games on the internet and see if anyone cares. And people cared, but yeah. like, didn't like they presented themselves without any sort of like pretense. The thing I really liked about them was it was in this sort of big craze of let's plays. And they were the only let's players that I could find on YouTube that did not film their faces 
and didn't go what's going on guys today we are playing there was none of that there was just like yeah it's like oh i feel not pandered to this is really cool um and their podcast was the same and it's the same thing i don't necessarily i appreciate their opinions on video games and i think they're interesting i often disagree with them but more than anything else it is the sort of like candid and like just chill and non-performative conversation like performative in the sense that they're hosting a podcast and now they're streaming and they need to keep it lively and entertaining but performative not in the fact that it feels phony like you know i'm not going to name names but many other very very popular streamers who uh, have their audience that typically tends to be within the eight to 14 demographic and that's great for them like you know there's i I, no judgment but it's nice to also have some streamers podcasters within that realm who you know do sort of appeal to a sort of more mature base and i have felt like i grew up with them too because i still listen to you know they they used to be a group of three or i used to be a group of four they broke up a few years ago. Now two of them host a podcast together and all four of them independently stream. So like, I, but I like, I'm still keeping up with them. I still listen to the podcast every single week, but it's, it's to circle back. Like it's that same point that like, even though there's only a two year difference between us, like they are to me almost exactly what giant bomb was to you. And they are doing what they do because of giant bomb. Like, I think it's, yeah. it speaks to the impact of what giant bomb did to the internet basically yeah like that's like it really is a thing is like yeah it's like giant bomb it i think started because like the other thing that like, i think that giant bomb would do and i want to circle this back to kind of like this like general idea of like you know uh a different like how, being a different kind of streamer another thing that giant bomb would do um though on, on a different kind of uh topic was they would have, they have very good E3 events. Well, like E3 is this like, you know, dumb marketing, half marketing, half like talking to like shareholders spectacle. But like, it's a moment where a bunch of people are like together in one place and they actually, you know, they started hosting these kind of like, basically these like multi-hour, like five hour kind of like multi-episode within each night uh, interviews with people where like Jeff Grissom just like interview like a group of like six people on a couch and a thing that like, almost like like Graham Norton show is like maybe like the best like you know TV comparison I can think of it's like that but for games and like you know with a different kind of sardonic host but like it was you know like Giant Bomb was like you know, it was never never huge it was never kind of like you know an on mass like cultural force in like games coverage in the way that like a like a PewDiePie ever was you know like they never had as many eyeballs but they you know it was a it was like this kind of like old, like, you know, like this older ethos of how to approach games that like led to them being able to kind of like speak to like various parts of the industry, like the industry as industry, as well as like, you know, the industry as journalists, as, you know, like as critics, as, um, as independent uh, developers. And so like they ended up being this kind of like this, this kernel that like a lot of different, like, you know, when you think about all the different ways you can talk about games, like they intersected with so many of them and that I think, and, and yeah, like that's just been like a really, I think that that's part of like, I think it's just part of like why, like, you know, like even as Jump Bomb never got, 
gigantic in the way that like other, you know, uh, I personalities have gotten like gigantic, like they touched, like they, they touched so many things that like made them like a really kind of like valuable sort of like node within, um, games coverage. And yeah, like, and, and there really is just sort of like, there really is something to, you know, like, there really also yeah there really is something to like them being like what they became at the end which is like streamers who aren't like super performative yeah like you're right like every when you're performing for an audience you're always performing for an audience we are performers you know um but uh yeah like there's a sort of yeah like but there's a sort of like more colloquial performativity that they didn't have that like made them kind of like you know even as i was listening i'm going like yeah no i you know, I don't. I don't think Ghost of Tsushima seems that interesting, and I don't know why you're talking about it as one of the best games of 2020. But, um, but like e- even as that conversation is happening, it's happening in a way that like felt, um, frankly, with each passing year, it like gets harder for me to justify, like my ongoing kind of like professional interest in games but like they, they were at least they're able to facilitate a conversation like you know a conversation every week and every basically bit of video in like every bit of content they did that felt adult and it like even and like even in like the early days where they're like in their 20s and they're like it's a lot more anarchic there was still something like it didn't feel as like performative and if you read like the subreddit right now it's a lot of people saying like i'm 45 and i might get out of games now because like this was sort of like this was the coverage that spoke to me at this point in my life and now like you know whatever like and now this is gone and so there's nothing else that's really kind of like nothing else speaks to me in the same way and yeah and that's um and yeah, and, and that and that matters. And yeah, and I mean, you know, like I'm not like sitting here saying like they, sh- you know, I hope that's not coming across that I'm like, you know, uh, angry or like, you know, like feel like there is like a service being done that they need to keep doing because no, it's like there is so many reasons for them to end this thing, you know, like business wise and like personally because like being a being in the public eye for this as long as they have been is like it's bound to that's gotta that's gotta that's yeah. gotta take that's gotta take its hole right. on you you know and that was i actually remember when like because again i i feel like the closest the closest comparison and frame of reference i have is with the super best friends castle super beast guys like they i remember they their announcement video several years ago when they announced that the original group was going to be disbanding was like they opened it with like hey guys this is that conversation that you kind of hope is never going to happen but you know inevitably one day is going to happen and it's like it's that exact same like uh, eventually eventually this ongoing thing that even if it is so key to your relationship with a medium like eventually it's gonna end and it's gonna it's gonna you know leave you with sort of a void that you wonder how you're gonna fill and it's interesting to me to think too that like giant bomb if you want to look at it on sort of a binary timeline and obviously it isn't so but i feel like giant bomb really sort of you know you say they kind of came to popularity in like 08 09 ish right about the time when penny arcade sort of started to fall out of good graces 
with the yeah. public and it's like it is sort of like like the torch being passed maybe not by penny maybe more like the torch being gripped out of penny arcade's hands <laughs> but, it, but yeah. the audience like wrenching it from their hand and giving it to someone else <laughs> you don't need this anymore you're gonna set something <laughs> on fire here you go um, but but uh you know, it, it is like, because it, Penny Arcade sort of resonated for that same kind of reason was like very relatable, um, uh, every man's approach to gaming, but with like the very, a very, two, created by two people with a very strong understanding of the medium of the industry, of its history, but presented in a very palatable way for the everyman that has more than a passing interest in gaming but isn't necessarily doesn't necessarily have encyclopedic knowledge either or does have encyclopedic knowledge it sort of works back back in uh each way um but as uh you know penny arcade starts to fall out of good graces starts to fall out of relevance you have giant bomb to sort of take that initial formula and sort of expand upon it into something bigger so now the question is is something gonna really come along and take giant bombs place like like what i think with the internet being so much more based in like camps and there being very little in the way of like ubiquitous one person on the internet that everyone goes to see who's to say if that's going to really work out or not yeah, and that's kind of okay. And I, and I think in a way you're speaking to I think like one one of the most important things about Giant Bomb, like in its kind of like later stages, which is like Giant Bomb was basically the old internet embedded in the new internet. And like one thing that one of the, one of the uh, staff members leaving said, and like their podcast in the podcast where they announced that they were leaving, was uh, there are no websites anymore. And like, you know, and one of them re- re- uh, referred to like that, that one meme, like, you know, now there are four websites that are full of screenshots from the other three. Um, and yeah, no, like that's sort of the, like, that's the thing that has changed is the internet has gone from being this like proliferation of like, you know, random people's blogs and stuff. And like also, and also like, these like big kind of like uh, um, publications and to being basically a lot of like, you know, uh, a proliferation of smaller content creators on major platforms like you know your twitches your twitters your youtubes and all this being you know, like and all of these like you know individual uh, like individualized efforts being funded through patreon and stuff like that and giant bomb kind of like you know in in archiving everything they did and archiving it via basically their own web platform even though they use like you know some like youtube's player and stuff like that like they had basically their own thing and like it existed as this sort of like you know performing this kind of like new internet streaming content within the kind of like the confines and ethos of like an old internet website. And that I think, um, so I think there is like structurally, there will not be another, there can't be another giant bomb at this point because like that, you know, because they came to existence when that ethos could kind of like manifest like right before um, like all these platforms, like all these like big platforms, like really started to kind of take over the internet. And yeah, yeah, I don't know. The 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 future's uncertain for things like that. Future's uncertain for a lot of things. Well, on that note, uh, we're gonna take a quick break and we will be right back just momentarily.
You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is Socially Distanced. I am your host, Justin Kiever, and with me is the other host of Socially Distanced, Paxton Wright. That's me. Hello. That's Yes, that's Paxton. And I am Justin. And that's Paxton. Say hi again, Paxton. Good night, everybody. All right. Yes. And that's the second half of our show. Thank you very much. <laughs> we, just, we just do this um, for half an hour. <laughs> you know what? That would be a better use of your time than the thing that we are actually going to talk about on today's Feast in the Weast. And that is the Mortal Kombat movie Ooh, that I recently came out. Uh, yeah, it's not good. <laughs> and that's our show. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, no, it's it's not good. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a bad movie. I uh, went into it. I watched it on streaming. I did not go to a theater to see this, and I'm very thankful i'm I'm being very mean right out of the gate and like let me this is a bad movie (laughs) and like my a notch okay yeah lewis um, black (laughs) (laughs) wow um yeah there's a we're talking about 2008 let's keep it going let's talk about about the history of content um (laughs) yeah um i'm being really down on it because i've seen because there's been kind of a this movie's saying okay. This movie's saying like forty percent or something on Rotten Tomatoes. You know, like it didn't review great. There's been a kind of like a counter discourse of people saying, "No, this movie's pretty good actually," um, and it's not, and it's really <laughs> not. And the thing is, though, I think it's one of these cases where it's a bad movie, not for the reasons that like I understand film critics like. It's not a bad movie because of like the reasons that film critics would say a thing is bad. Like it's not a bad movie because the acting is not good. The acting's not good, but that's not what makes it a bad movie. The plot's not good. That's mostly not what makes it a bad movie. It's just a bad action movie. And that's, that's what I hear because it's all of those things are perfectly forgivable, if not expected for a Mortal Kombat movie. But it's like what the one thing you do want to work is actual good fight choreography and interesting action set pieces. And apparently you get none of that. You get none of that. Um, yeah, yeah you, you just get none of that. And it, it's like, I mean, yeah. So like I didn't, like it, it, it is perfectly watchable. This movie. Some of the characters are pretty fun. Kano, like the guy playing Kano, has some pretty fantastic comedic timing. Like he, uh, so Kano is a very fun character in this film. Uh, uh, Liu Kang and Kung Lao, uh, who only are there for about half of the movie, um, they're they're pretty good characters. Like they end up I'm being surprised. Kind of like, there's so little Liu Kang. I would have figured he would be almost yeah, front and center. You, you sure would think um wouldn't you think johnny cage would be in this movie um wouldn't you <laughs> the main character is like just some guy right isn't that part of it yeah the, the main character like people have described this as basically being like it's written like a self-insert fan fiction and it really is um it's uh yeah um yeah like the main character is just some guy his name is cole young which you know to be fair that does sound like the name of a video game character. It sounds like the name of a Mortal Kombat character. <laughs> it's not no, it's bad. A, actually, yeah, I guess it kind of does. Um, it, it's like, it, it's not as ridiculous as a name like Sonya Blade or even like, it's even <laughs> a step below. It's even a step below Johnny Cage, which I think is a better <laughs> goofy name than uh, than Cole Young. Cole Young sounds like a Gears of War character. Um, I'm probably just saying that because there is a character named Cole in Gears of War. But anyway, um, Oh, God. Yeah, hold on. I'm like, I pulled up the cast here because like the cast is sort of a, 
is, is Baraka in it? Do we get no Baraka? Oh no, Melina I think is in it. Um, no, that's okay. Reptile but, but barely. Reptile might be in it. I don't think so. Um, no, Reptile is not in it. Uh, Cabal is in it. If you care about Cabal, oh, who um, doesn't care about Cabal? I actually kind of like Cabal. Um, like as a like uh, in terms of Cabal's design, I think Cabal looks kind of cool. Um, eh, he's not one of I, my favorites. Uh, yeah, that's fair. I, I mean, so Reiko is in this. Have you heard of Reiko? Which one's Reiko? No. Reiko's he... like one of like the like apparently MK like four through seven era. I'm saying four through seven because I don't know. Because so just from why the would era I that know? I've never played. Yeah. It's from like the worst era of Mortal Kombat. Um, well, good yeah. thing he didn't get left on the cutting room floor. And yeah, exactly. I mean, he's basically he's there to kind of just like, you know, get owned. And, you know, he does, but it's not. <sighs> so. Okay, I'm gonna. I guess I'll like run through kind of like some of the plot of this first because I do think that the plot is part of the reason why it's bad. Like, the action's bad, and that's what I want us to mostly talk about. But like, yeah, the plot is you know there's a guy named Cole Young. Uh, he's a fighter who doesn't know how to block, and that at least is kind of funny. Um, like the fact that like his like opening that's arc really is a like self insert. <laughs> like that's it's like yeah you know like hey you know like I'm a good fighter but you know like I keep losing all these fights because like I'm not hitting the I'm not doing the block action and that's like okay yeah that's a, okay, that's, that's, a fun, that's a that's a funny cute. thing that's cute. I like that. um yeah it was like that was but the thing it but they whiff on like the payoff for it though because he doesn't <sighs> okay anyway there's a guy named Cole Young. He's got a tattoo that looks like the Mortal Kombat dragon, just like the rest of the good characters from Mortal Kombat. So like Jax has one of those, Sonya Blade has one of those, and uh, I think Kano, Kano gains one by killing someone who had one of these. Anyway, in the dragon tattoo, like, you know, it means that you're destined to be like a fighter in the Mortal Kombat tournament, which, you know, if Outworld wins, 10 Mortal Kombat tournaments, they take over Earth. And uh, yeah, and then, you know, at one point, your powers need to activate when you have enough character development. And then they activate and you become a fully fledged Mortal Kombat fighter. It's very dumb because it's very like the plot, as I've just described it, it's, it's, it, feels like a, it feels like a self insert fan fiction. It feels more like a, it's like a YA novel is kind of what's happening is like, you know, a lot of like, like that's really the thing that like bugged me throughout is that you, it's this, like this idea of the kind of like, you know, you're destined to be this great fighter and you need to kind of like go through this, like, you know, you'll, you need to access this power through personal growth. And it's very, it feels very YA. Like it feels very kind of, you know, like chosen, you know, like, like I'm, watching a bunch of like chosen 12 year olds who are going to defend uh, earth and uh but the thing is they're all like in their 30s it, um and, and that i think kind of um yeah and, and so that's really bad and that's really bad especially given like what the story of like the games is at this point like i don't know if you've played any of the mks like since the the reboot that was like technically mortal kombat 9 have you yeah x is the only one i played uh since the okay. new era i heard have 11 played... was not good i um i think the thing i've heard that was that was wrong with 11 was just like it was really grindy and like they had a lot of microtransactions and stuff hmm. um i played some of 
I've played all of MK9, which is sort of like where like they kicked off this like new trilogy of like like the you know these games have stories pretty. Did you play through the story of uh, MKX? I think so. I like I got it when it came out, and I I poured probably. I'm just not a big fighting games guy. I probably poured 12 hours into it, like nine of which were single player. So I, yeah, I, I so brushed off of me. I don't know. So like, I, I don't, the story in the, in the games is not good, but it's better than this. Like it's significantly better than this. And like, and I think that like part of, and a big part of why it's better is that it like, it takes its lore like before recording this episode i read an article that was like hey the mortal Kombat movie is good because it like it takes all of this like you know ridiculous lore super seriously and like like you know it's being completely unironic about it it's and i was like yeah it is being unironic about it but like not in a way that works because it's constructed this whole like you know really dumb like origin story thing around it that basically ensures that like we're not actually it takes the lore seriously, but it's never actually letting us get like immersed in like this like ridiculous lore. The games, on the other hand, really let you get immersed in that ridiculous lore. They take that lore completely seriously. The stories are completely straight faced. Like they have, you know, like some humor and stuff, but like you there is like this whole kind of like, you know, like I'm playing through MKX right now and there's like all this like politics around like the relationship between like, you know, the earth and outworld and like all of this kind of like um yeah just like there's all this all the all this politics happening all of this kind of like world building happening that just straight up does not happen in this movie like this movie does not actually care about like any of like about like filling out any of this kind of like ridiculous mythos um and that's, that and that's really to its detriment that's one of the things i will say because now there's the announcement of the new they're going to be doing more resident evil movies again rebooting them without uh paul w sanderson um it's a concern of mine is that the plot will will either not take itself seriously or take itself too seriously in the wrong direction kind of like the original movies did because uh one of the things i love about that franchise is the same deal is that it has the dumbest overarching story imaginable of like of grand vast government conspiracy bio weaponry uh international uh you know ex- exchange of weaponry it's it's such a giant high stakes stupid story that devolves ultimately at the end of the day to a uh, a pharmaceutical company decided to make zombies and zombie sharks and uh oh we had a problem um but like <laughs> But like uh, the thing is, as the franchise has gone on, and you get things like RE7 and the remakes, which like yeah, the dialogue actually improves quite a bit. The art direction improved. The general direction overall improves quite a bit. Um, if you just sort of don't think and go straight ahead into the games, you're like, oh, this is actually telling me a pretty compelling story. But then when you take a step back, you're like, oh no, this story is just as stupid and asinine as ever but like it it is so self-serious in such a charming way and like it works almost better when like the surface level writing improves 
because it is still like it, but but it, yeah i sort of lost track of my point the point being is it's like mortal Kombat in that sense where it might be incredibly dumb but it's still when you're a diehard fan like myself it's still really compelling i love resident evil's story and i could go on for an hour on the ins and outs of that plot with a with a, a dang cork board and string and i could connect all the games for you like i i am obsessed with that terrible sci-fi soap operatic story that they've created and it's yeah. awesome and it's the it's the same basic deal though yeah and like yeah yeah no exactly like there is like there is something okay so to kind of like to try and like put a pin on um like the why the plot of Mortal Kombat, like the, the new series of games works and why the film doesn't. And maybe this is just my bad memory, but like in Mortal Kombat X, you get this like opening like exposition where it basically says, anyway, there's a tournament called Mortal Kombat. It exists because, you know, like this one, one, you know, outer outworld wants to invade the earth. And if they do that, they will win. So this tournament exists to basically like even the odds. Anyway, in Mortal Kombat, the movie, as far as I remember, basically, there's a tournament. And it just kind of is. And like, and the, you know, and that's in the end. And some of them and, are just folks. And it's like, there's a, there's a tournament. And, you know, basically, if they, you know, if Outworld wins 10 of them, they get Earth. And it's like, that's all you get. And like the whole rationale, like there's a rationale for this thing existing in like the game's mythos. And, you know, as it's developed and like, you don't get any of that, which the thing is, though, like, that's the stuff that you should probably put in in the darn movie it's important to have real stakes in a story yeah and like to kind of like to to fill in like not to kind of like to to actually fill in some of like the logic and also the other thing is like and like when i talk about like the mythos and such like another reason that the games uh work is that like or at least the new games work is that like outworld the, the place where all the enemies are is an actual place with its own internal like politics and strife. And in the film, because the film is just incredibly chintzy, to be honest, like it, it is basically one green screen location where some of the bad guys talk occasionally about wanting to take over the earth. And like, there's just like, there's no sense of like, there's no sense of place. It is just kind of like the, it is the evil realm and that's all. And the whole film just feels incredibly cheap. It takes place in like three locations. Um, one of which being this kind of like, like the entire second act basically happens in a, uh, um, where Liu Kang and Kung Lao and Raiden hang out. And like, it's basically just like, I don't know, looks kind of like a desert temple. There's this one really plain, like fighting arena where like half of the fights happen. Um, it's, and the but the main thing that feels chintzy ultimately is the the choreography and editing. Like it, it does all of the bad action movie stuff. Like it does the it does the Marvel. It looks like a Marvel movie. It looks so anonymous, and it does all of the stuff that those Marvel movies do, where like they cut on the hit. That kind of being the big thing. They shoot basically in a lot of close ups, and the thing that's really infuriating. They hired people who know how to fight. Like Joe Taslim, who, you know, like stars alongside Iko Uwe in The Raid, is the principal like character in The Night Comes for Us, like one of the best and most brutal action movies I've seen in the last five years. That's depressing, like, man. He's he's sub-zero. <laughs> and like they shoot him like they would shoot Chris Evans, like, you know, in a like in a Captain America movie. Oh god. Like taken three 
Mortal yeah. Kombat edition. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, yes, we need we need twelve shaky cam shots of Sub Zero <laughs> throwing a punch. Um, of Sub Zero walking into a room. <laughs> yeah, and like, so yeah, and and that's really the main thing is that, and you know, like, there's a lot of like, the this is going to make me sound terrible because there are a couple like pretty gory scenes in the new Mortal Kombat as you would hope there would be. None of them are as uh, creative, funny, or just flat out like gross and unsettling as some of the stuff in like the later games. Um, and and that's also kind of super disappointing because that's the thing is like it's shot in a it's shot in a way that like everything feels weightless and that ultimately makes like all of the gory payoffs feel incredibly weightless too. Well, yeah, that's I mean that is the one thing you would at least hope they would get right is like absolute grotesque brutality. Like that is you know and yeah, as you say, like it to someone who's maybe not super familiar or keen on the Mortal Kombat franchise, that might sound horrible to say out of context, but no, that's the whole appeal of Mortal Kombat is just the absolute brutality of it. I I mean, one of my favorite things to happen in any video game ever is in Mortal Kombat X where, what is it, Triborg's Fatality is they transform into a giant meat grinder machine, throw the throw the other player character into it, and then launch the player character out as like a meat cube, just a bleeding, <laughs> pulsating meat cube. And that's Gross. that's how you win. And it's so cool. It's awesome. Oh, man. It's like I want I want that in a movie. Yeah, like <sighs> Like that was like one thing. So like one thing I was thinking about after watching this movie is like, you know, how do you okay? How do you go about adapting Mortal Kombat? It has this ridiculous mythos, but the thing that really matters is how do you cinematically kind of like recreate the action of Mortal Kombat? You know, and like tremendous violence is you know frankly a big part of it because that's what Mortal Kombat is known for. Um, you know, like if you play their old MKs, like, you know, hey, Street Fight, the early Street Fighter games better than the Mortal Kombat games, just like as games, like they're much, much better. But I mean, hey, Mortal- still kind of applies. <laughs> I, yeah, like, I mean, well, yes, like, absolutely. But if like, I do think who knows how to play fight. Mortal Kombat yeah. is far more user friendly if you're someone like myself yeah. who doesn't know the first thing about, uh, you know, a semicircle or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the thing. I can pull off a quarter circle kick. I cannot pull off a half circle kick yeah. for some reason. Um, and it's like the same reason, like, I can't play any like anime fighter. Like, Street Fighter is not an anime fighter, but like the um, like uh, Arc System Works games. That's why they completely escape me. Um, mm-hmm. But um, yeah, no, like, so yeah, like tremendous violence is sort of like you know the the thing associated with Mortal Kombat. That's like why it kind of like entered the sort of cultural zeitgeist in the '90s and like the video game scare and all of that. Um, like that alongside Doom. So it's tremendous violence, but also there is kind of a if you like, I, I went and like watched like professional Mortal Kombat, like contemporary Mortal Kombat play to get a sense of like okay, like if I was a filmmaker trying to like. Just sort of like capture an aesthetic from this what would it be or like how would i try and recreate this and like there's a sort of the thing is it's violence and also just like really terrible things happening to people and then them getting right back up and continuing 
and like that's sort of like because like as you watch this it's sort of this like you know this interplay like blocking and then someone doing like a combo that like does something really horrible to the other fighter but then they just get up like nothing happened and that would actually be a lot of fun to play with like in a like you know in a fight scene in a film you know just like where just like this like thing like this incredible endurance test of a fight where just like horrible things are happening like you know like arms are breaking and like but like what if they just kind of like put them back in just kept going and like you could like really like you could really kind of have fun with like the ridiculousness of just how like resilient these characters are like when like given how like brutal the animations are but man they just keep fighting like nothing happened until they finally like until something until a fatality happens and something truly irreversible happens to them like getting turned into a meat cube it's such like a, it just sounds like on all ends this movie like was just like made I, I mean, I, again, I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't involved in the production. I'm sure someone in the development process along the way of this movie was like, my vision, no. But uh, like, but it feels, from what I've gathered, like it was made with a lot of like timidness and boredom, is like kind of what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah, like I think, like I think there are good things about it. Like I think there are, like yeah, um, Liu Kang and Kung Lao, I think are like actually just good, like pretty good characters, you know, for this kind of film. Um, Kano's funny. The, um, uh, but yeah, like some of the effect shots are pretty good. Like there are a couple, like there are some fun things with like Sub-Zero. There's that one thing in the trailer that people got excited about that I think is probably the coolest thing that happens in the whole game, which is like Sub-Zero, stabbing scorpion and like t- basically freezing like a blood blade out of him and like trying to stab him with it and it's like that was cool that was probably the coolest and most like creative gore thing that happens in the whole movie though you know like the best part is right there and yeah no it, it just like ends up feeling very anonymous as a film like, and i think that's kind of the thing is like it's a film that you know seems to have the right cast like you know uh that yeah the trailer seemed exciting but yeah it just wound up kind of feeling like okay i feel like i just watched like a bad superhero movie that was kind of it you know like it just felt like a a totally anonymous blockbuster let me ask you something Mm -hmm. gonna put a spoiler warning right here for the mortal Kombat movie should anyone care i'm saying it now because i don't care uh but if anyone does tune out now for just a couple seconds all right, Justin, it's very well documented that Ed Boon loves Scorpion and Ed Boon hates Sub-Zero. And it, through most of Mortal Kombat's lore, from what I know, Scorpion almost always ends up beating Sub-Zero, even though Sub-Zero is like the good one of the two ninjas. Does Scorpion beat Sub-Zero in this movie? Okay, so that's actually, I'm going to spoil more of this. I'm going to spoil like the one twist that this film has and it's really dumb twist. So Great. anyway, if, if, so, if you're just, if you're just tuning back in because you thought the spoiler was done, tune out for the episode. We're actually just going to get into spoilers for two minutes. So bye-bye folks. Yeah. All it's right. a bad plot. So g- goodbye everyone. Anyway, Paxton, now that you're the only one listening to me. So <laughs> Scorpion beats Sub-Zero. Scorpion is the good guy in this one. Just oh, flat out the good guy. Like the he fire like, demon from actually, hell is the good actually, guy. Actually, <laughs> so here's the, so honestly one of the like one the moment 
a moment really early where I thought I might actually love this movie is that you you get introduced to Scorpion who has, you know, like a, a lovely wife and a, a lovely uh, child and a lovely uh, other baby. Um, anyway, so Sub-Zero shows up while, you know, like they're talking about how wonderful their life is. Sub-Zero kills um, Scorpion's family and uh, he kills them by freezing them. So like, so Scorpion comes back to like, you know, he's like off getting water or something, hears a scream and comes back to find his wife and her child like frozen and he has to like you know like act all sad over this just ridiculous image it's so silly anyway yeah so um so scorpion's the good one scorpion beats sub-zero the main character like this random main character is actually is actually the descendant of scorpion's uh, baby who doesn't die when sub-zero first attacks so he is like little scorpion he's like the, the yeah like he is the direct descendant of like scorpion and then like the whole plot is a big kind of motivating thing in the plot is like he has to come into his power so scorpion can escape from hell through something that is not explained um it's like scorpion just kind of shows up in the in the dramatic final fight with sub-zero and and shang sung and yeah then scorpion wins and like that's that's the other thing is like making scorpion just the good guy which he is not in like mk 9 through 11 actually it makes him a much less interesting character because like in because he's he's a tragic villain in like the new ones and now he's just kind of like he's the good guy it's weird i i'm I'm not a fan of that i'm not a fan of that it's bad no it's really bad well you know you're coming in with the controversial takes here on the mortal Kombat movie i gotta say justin but that's why folks tune in is to hear uh is to hear you know contrarian objection to you know opinions of almost everyone else this is all kidding. Nobody yeah. seems to like this movie. <laughs> yeah, everyone loves the Mortal Kombat movie. I'm <laughs> alone in my struggle here. <laughs> all right. Well, that is going to do it for us this week. Take care, everybody. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Sayonara. Yep. See you, everyone. All right.